Hello and welcome to another episode of the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I'm your host, as always, Eric Spiropoulos, and you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros MBA. You can follow our website. Um, you can check it out at 94feetreport.com or follow us on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. Again, we've been launched since July 1st. Um, we've been putting up some really great content on the website. We've got a really great group of around 20 to 25 writers and podcasters and editors and, and stuff like that. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report and check out our website, 94feetreport.com. This will be another uh, divisional preview episode. So we've already released a divisional preview episode on the Atlantic and Northwest divisions. Those were two separate episodes. And today we'll be joined by Mo Dakil of the Jump Ball and a former NBA video coordinator for teams like the Clippers and Spurs. And in this episode, we'll be previewing two divisions in the same episode, which will be the Central Division and then the Pacific Division. We'll talk about the off-seasons for, both te- for all teams in the divisions in terms of key additions, key losses. And then we'll answer some, some key questions about the upcoming season for each team in each division so stay tuned for a conversation with mo about previewing the central and pacific divisions and we are now joined by mo dakil um, who was a former uh, video coordinator for the clippers and spurs also australian men's basketball is a contributor at fast model sports um, and also has his own website, thejumpball.net. Mo, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Eric. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. It's pretty good. It's a good time to kind of relax and calm down after the offseason's kind of quieted down before, you know, training camp and preseason gets underway. But uh, it's a nice time to relax for now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Easy time. Exactly. It's been a crazy offseason, though. It definitely has, which especially about the two divisions we're going to talk about. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to do the Central Division and then, of course, the Pacific Division. Um, a lot to talk about. Let's dive right in with the, uh, again, the, the reigning Eastern Conference champion, the Cleveland Cavaliers. All right. Well, after previously recording uh, a, a review of their offseason and a preview of the upcoming season, we are now back again later the same night with Mo um, reviewing the offseason for the Cavs and an offseason that finally, which was pretty quiet for the for the first you know couple of months, uh, finally now on August twenty second, when everyone thought that they could relax, you know, put go off Twitter, put their phone away for a couple hours and relax. Nope, we get a uh, Kyrie Irving trade um, uh, late night on uh, August twenty second. Um, so let's let's just dive into the trade. Obviously, they made the Cavs had some other you know losses and additions. I think we the biggest loss um, was GM David Griffin before you know, excluding the Kyrie Irving trade. Um, Darren Williams is also gone, but that's not something to, to write home about. Um, and then obviously before we get to the Thomas trade, let's just mention that, you know, the key additions include um, Jose Calderon and Jeff Green and Seti Osman. Uh, again, nothing to really write home about. Um, and now Derek Rose's role, um, who was also added, becomes very interesting with the addition now of Isaiah Thomas. So, Let's put those other minor additions and minor losses aside, and let's get to this trade because it's really, really interesting. I have some strong thoughts about it, um, but the ultimate, ultimately, Kyrie Irving was traded to the Boston Celtics for Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, the Brooklyn Nets 2018 first-round pick, and Ante Zisic, as I think is how you pronounce it, the uh, foreign rookie that's coming over this year. Um, what are your initial thoughts about the trade for the Cavaliers? So, like, my very first thought was I was shocked that none of the young guys for Boston, neither Tatum nor uh, Jalen Brown, were included in this. But the more I kind of think about it, the more I really like this trade for Cleveland. 
I think we talked about it earlier, uh, you know, like IT kind of comes into the starting role. This moves Derek Rose to the bench. I think the real key is Crowder in the deal, because let's be honest, like Kyrie and IT, Isaiah Thomas are kind of a wash to me. They're mm-hmm. very yeah. similar players, um, scoring point guards, both can shoot, both can drive, both are bad defensively, although Isaiah Thomas is pretty much worse. But by not by much more. I don't yeah. think Kyrie is that great of a defensive player either. I think, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's kind of a wash for me, but Crowder is a real key to me in this. They added another three and D player. You know, and that was something that they missed against the Warriors. You know, I had been saying all summer that I thought the Cavs missed the biggest mistake was they went and tried to get guys that can shoot and not really defend. They didn't have defenders all year. You know, now you have a guy like Jay Crowder who can ease the defensive pressure off LeBron a bit, you know, and, and, and he could take the top wing and, and, and really focus in on that and, and still has the ability to shoot the three and keep the floor spread. So I think this is a really a great deal for Cleveland, but I also don't feel like I, my gut just says they're not done yet. That's yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I mean, the other thing about Crowder's is not only is he a really good three and D player, but his contract is, is one of the best in the league. Um, and for a team that Cleveland, it's, that is very expensive having him be such a good player on like, such a good contract is also a good, um, important aspect. Um, I agree with you. Thomas and Kyrie are basically a wash. I mean, they're basically very similar players, both really, really bad on defense. You know, maybe Kyrie is marginally better, but that's not saying much when you consider how bad Thomas is. Um, uh, and yeah, Jay Crowder. Now that it was really surprising once um, the Brooklyn Nets pick was revealed to be included in this deal. I think the the early rumors were that I was Tom. It was first reported that I was you know that Kyrie was you know being going to going to go to Boston and you know they would get Thomas and something else. Then Crowder was included. And then once you know finally it revealed that the, the Nets pick was there, and I, I was really surprised about that. Obviously, we had heard reports about the Celtics kind of holding off on trading those Nets picks. You know, the last one they already used, but then. Um, even this one, the 2018 one, they were holding it off in deals, potential deals for Paul George and Jimmy Butler. And, and now they include it in this deal, um, you know, which I'm not a fan of, obviously. But from the Cleveland perspective, I have to agree with you. I really, really like this deal. Um, you know, it makes them right now. It makes them better than they were, you know, yesterday because they Thomas and Kyrie, we both agree are wash. And, you know, Isaiah could actually be, you know, providing a little bit more value um, this upcoming season. Adding Crowder is a significant aspect in three and D. I don't think Zsich is going to do anything this year. Um, and then they also got that 2018 first round pick, um, which allows them, you know, theoretically, we don't know if LeBron's going to stay. Isaiah is also a free agent next year and he wants max money and he's going to be really expensive. Um so getting that 2018 first-round pick, I think, is kind of a, a really big deal about this trade for Cleveland um, as they kind of balance both paths moving forward. Yeah, I mean, they're able to look for towards the future. I, I, I think the Nets are going to be better this year than they were last year. I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the league, so I don't see that being like a, a number one pick or – I think they're I think they're going to drop out of the top five. Yeah, I had, I had tweeted out um, that I think the Nets pick will be in anywhere from like the five to six range. I mean, because we we talked about other teams in this uh, Central Division preview, like the Bulls and the Pacers. Then you've also got the Hawks, who are going to be really bad, and also you know we also talk later about the Suns, who are also really bad. So the Nets could easily fall out of the top five. Right. So the the value of that pick kind of drops a little bit as the Nets have been getting better. I think. I still, I think, you know, if you're Cleveland, I think you still try to look to move a guy like Iman Shumpert mm-hmm. for something. I think, you know, 
I think you could even try to I, I saw somebody floating crazy ideas on Twitter because that's what Twitter is all about. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, floating that, you know, even using the 2018 pick to try to get a guy like, uh, you know, a sign and trade with Nerland Snowell or something. I that could, that's far fetched. But, you know, I could see there being stuff in the works where as the season gets going and, and if the Nets do turn out to be quite terrible, that pick have more value and, you know. Maybe you can flip that for a shot blocker or, um, you know, I think that's kind of good. Actually, that shot blocker is probably their biggest need, especially if Zizic isn't going to really work out. Maybe, again, just craziness and, and, and stuff like that and, and spitballing. But guys like DeAndre Jordan could be on the market, you know, and, and, and all of that can open up. I just don't think they're done yet. I don't think Cleveland's done yet, but I like what they've done. They're actually up getting quite deeper. Yeah, and the fact that Kyrie had publicly, you know, the, the tr- his trade request had gone public, you know, that usually puts teams in a tough position. But I was really surprised with, you know, how they were able to get a really good return for Kyrie Irving and a, and a return that helps him now and in the future. I think that what you just said, and I also saw some of those tweets too about using that 2018 Nets pick. I mean, you know, for example, maybe the Nets have some injuries like Jeremy Lin last year missed like sixty game, uh, like for fifty games last year, and and they are they do turn out to be a, a bottom three team, and then that pick, you know, kind of around the trade deadline gets you know an increase in value, and the and the Cavs can use that to get another player that can help them that season, um, or they keep it, and maybe LeBron, you know, maybe they struggle in the regular season, or you know they're kind of not, you know, going well together. Um, and LeBron says, I'm probably going to leave, and they can keep that pick and then, um, you know, potentially move, move off some other contracts to kind of start a rebuild. So I like the fact that they were able to get good return both in the present and for the future. Um, and, you know, we talk about Derrick Rose now, and his role now is pretty clear that he's going to be a, leading the bench unit, which we both agreed when we previously recorded this that that would be best for him moving forward on the Cavs. Yeah, and, you know, Going back to whether they they trade that 2018 pick, I think it really comes down to how confident do they feel that LeBron's staying. I think the 2018 pick is something they they hold on to if they're very, very, very concerned as well. They probably should be that LeBron's leaving. But if during the course of the season he signals that like, hey, like I think this is this is where I want to stay. And again, some of it's not basketball stuff. I still think he has issues with Gilbert. I still think that's Mm -hmm. up in the air. I still think, you know, it's it's still. It, it, it's up in the air in terms of what happens, whether he leaves or not. But this helps. Like, this is the kind of haul they needed to get to kind of see if they can entice LeBron. Because this is a team that's like, I don't know if they're good enough to beat the Warriors, but they're better than what this team was last year. Yeah. Just on paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, the, the interesting thing is that they traded Kyrie to probably their number one contender in the Boston Celtics. But the fact, you know... If you had told me that it was going to be like Kyrie for Isaiah and a pick, I would think it'd be more interesting. And you know, the question could be posed that you know, are the are the Cavs still decent favorites over the Celtics? I mean, now that they got Thomas and Crowder, um, I think I still have the Cavs over the Celtics. But how do you think this? You know, looking at it slightly, just for a little bit from the Celtics' perspective, how do you think this will play out in terms of matching up with the Cavs? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, if you we we, we talked about it a little bit of uh, Avery Bradley being. In Detroit, I wonder now if they wish they had Avery Bradley because now you lost your two best, you know, two of your top three defenders in in Bradley and Crowder. You know, you still have Marcus Smart there. You're hoping Jalen Brown and Tatum can make the leap. 
you know, it's it's going to be interesting. I, 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 it's a good trade for Boston in the sense that they didn't compromise any of their future. They still have those young guys. They still have a lot more. They have a lot of picks still in the asset cupboard. You know, I think they're they're fine in those regards. I think when you have an opportunity to get a guy like Kyrie, you go ahead and get Kyrie. I think it. I think they had serious doubts of whether they wanted to pay it. And the other thing too, that's the other question with Isaiah Thomas is, you know, how healthy is he? You know, we had the hip injury, and, and and it seems like everything's on track. But the real question was, how healthy would he be? You know, at, at the start of camp, and and now the Celtics don't have to worry about it. They have a healthy Kyrie. You know, I think it's going to be really interesting. And the most amazing thing is these guys play each other game one of the season. Uh, I know that opening night doubleheader. Uh, the other games, Rockets Warriors. That is going to be one of the best opening nights I can remember in recent time. Um, I mean, I'm fired up now. October seventeenth. <laughs> let's go. Yeah. Fired. Up. Yeah, the NBA does something crazy. Gets you fired up on middle to late August. Um, but uh, yeah, in, when we previewed the Atlantic Division with Tamberlin Richardson in our previous episode, um, that's already out, which is kind of already kind of a wash now that this happened. But uh, we had talked about the Celtics' dilemma of you know facing Isaiah Thomas free agency and Marcus Smart being a restricted free agent next year. Um, you know, Thomas is going to want the max. He said that he wants the max. Obviously, he's had small contracts for throughout the entire of his career. Um, and you know, both Tamberlin and I had serious concerns about pl- paying a 30-year-old plus Isaiah Thomas 30-plus million per year. And now they really don't have to worry about that. Cleveland now has to worry about that in conjunction with LeBron's pending free agency. Um, so, you know, ultimately, I, I like the deal a lot for the Cavs, and I don't really like it for the Celtics um, because I'm, you know, not big on Kyrie. Um, but I ultimately, I do understand why they did this deal because, as you mentioned, they still have those young wings, those, those young players, other draft picks, um, and they still are a really good team because we, you know, Kyrie is obviously a very good player. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, Boston still has some holes. Like, you know, they mm-hmm. and, and, and they still had these holes to begin with, but rim protection is still going to be a big issue for Boston. And, and, and how do they kind of, kind of replicate that or, or replace? Zizic, at least, at the very least, was a big guy who can defend the rim. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not quick. I got to look at him in summer league. I wasn't very impressed with him. But again, it's summer league and it takes a while for a Euro guy to adjust. But it's for them. They have a glaring hole, you know, at at the center spot. So I think you're going to see a lot more small ball out of Boston, anyways. Mm-hmm. I won't I won't be surprised to see lineups of Kyrie Hayward, Tatum, Brown at the four, and Hay- and Horford at the five. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of I, I would almost kind of feel like that's what they're going for, and 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 work in Marcus Smart and those guys. So it's going to be an interesting it's going to be an interesting run for Boston. I think in the long run, this was a great deal for them in the sense they didn't give up too much to get Kyrie. But it's going to be a really interesting thing of how it plays out right now, too, because it's a now it's even more of this is going to take a while to gel. You know, him and Hayward got to work together and figure out how to play, play together and how how, how can they coexist? Yeah, and um, and the same for Cleveland too. I mean, Thomas and LeBron have to play together, which again, I don't have that many concerns about. But you know, ultimately, whenever you make a trade for you know an All Star, it does take some kind of time to to adjust with. And you know, the reason I think this deal is so fascinating is between is because it's between two of the two of the number the, the number one and number two teams. Most people agree in the Eastern Conference. It includes pieces of a good present return, like such as a Kyrie for Thomas and Crowder, but then also the draft pick, which kind of plays into future plans for the Cavs. Um, and just 
you know, obviously the tension of, you know, them playing opening night, them playing in the conference finals last year, basically them switching point guards. There's so many interesting factors about this trade. And luckily it did happen um, short enough after we originally recorded that we didn't have to go crazy about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it happened very quickly, too. I mean, in a matter of or at least as far as the reporting went, you know, it, it was through my entire workout. <laughs> I got the notification that Shams from Sham saying the they were talking and it was getting serious too. By the time I finished and was walking into the locker room, it was done. And so I yeah. think that was about an hour, hour and a half. I mean, it got it moved very quickly and progressed very quickly. So this is going to be an interesting. I mean, this is really just going to be an interesting uh, squad. It's going to be interesting for both teams to see how they adjust. I think Cleveland has an easier chance to work in isaiah thomas than boston does working in Kyrie, mm -hmm. in that boston, cleveland's already played with a guy like Kyrie. yeah i mean with a guy like it in Kyrie, so it's, it's it's really kind of plug and play he has to adjust but boston has to figure out how to incorporate and this is going to be a tough job for brad stevens all of these new pieces yeah you know and he's got to figure out how to shore up the defense he's got to figure out where they're getting their rebounding from who you know? Who's their crunch time lineups? I I think we're going to see Boston struggle early on because they're just going to be tinkering all the way till the All Star break. Yeah, yeah, and def definitely, it definitely going to be something to watch for the Celtics and the Cavs. A very interesting deal, um, and we were luckily able to uh, record on short notice to re-record re our, our review of the Cavs <laughs> off season and preview of their season. And now we will get to the previously recorded parts of the Central Division and Pacific Division. So, all right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks, a team that really didn't do much of anything uh, this summer. They were very limited financially. Uh, the only key loss I guess they have is Jason Terry, who, you know, he did play a decent role for them last year, but he is, I think, 40 years old now. So, you know, it's at, the, at that point of his career where it's kind of finishing for him. In terms of key additions, it was only in the draft. They drafted DJ Wilson in the first round and then Sterling Brown in the second. They re-signed Tony Snell. I think it was four years, 46, which is a reasonable contract for uh, what is, he's considered a three and D wing, which is, you know, kind of um, valuable in today's NBA. But really, as I said, they were very limited financially. They're hoping that Giannis can take another step. They hope that Chris Middleton being there for the full season will be a, a big difference. The question to answer, and I only have one really for the Bucks because I kind of feel like we already, we all expect Giannis and to take a step um, and Brogdon as well and other, and Thon Maker and their young crew like that. But the question answer is that can they make that jump without Jabari Parker, who will most likely be out until, you know, around February? Um, you know, last year they didn't have Middleton to around that time. This year they won't have Parker. So it's kind of a different, two different positions, obviously two different players. But do you think they can still make a quasi jump in the East without Parker for the majority of the season? Yeah, you know, I'm actually really high on the Bucks. I, I think they're a sleeper to finish in the top four in the Eastern Conference. And I think a lot of that depends on the development of Thon Maker. Because mm -hmm. he can kind of, he's not going to replace Jabari Parker, but he can kind of help offload, you know, some of that pressure and and, and, and kind of help out. If, if he takes a leap, you know, and, 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 and really improves, and everything, you know, I've read about him and, and hear about him is, you know, he's a great kid, super hard worker, really wants to, to be one of the best you know, players in the NBA and, and, and be one of the greats. I think that's kind of the the leap we got to start seeing. You know, he, he came on strong in the playoffs. I thought he played well for them in the playoffs and a limited role in that regards. I think his it, it's going to he's going to get a larger role with Parker being out till the All-Star break. Mm 
Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, too, it's it's Giannis and it's Middleton. You know, those two guys got to be better than they were last year. They got to both continue taking leaps and improving. I think it's it's one of those things. I think this is a team that's kind of poised to really quietly make a, a another mini jump. You know, and, and but everything's got to fall together in the right pe- place. Everything's got to kind of come together at the right time. I think. Not to put pressure on a really young kid, but I think Maker is the guy that 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 really kind of uh, holds this 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 thing together right now. Yeah, and you know Maker's similar kind of a similar draft pick that they made from uh, like Giannis. I mean, he's a stretch five potentially who can block shots over seven feet tall. He's lengthy, um, just like kind of like Giannis when they drafted him. They took a flyer on him, and so far Giannis has obviously paid off. And and Maker looked pretty good in the you know somewhat limited role. He had last season, and towards the end of the season, he started getting um, a bigger role, and obviously that shouldn't take another jump this season. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think they're going to make a jump as well. I just can't, I can't put my, my finger on how much of a jump they're going to make without Parker. I love, I mean, I, I really love Chris Middleton. I think he's extremely underrated, um, and he's going to be very important for them. Um, he also, he's, I think he's also a sec, kind of an underrated secondary playmaker. I think he's averaged in previous seasons over three, three, three assists per game. So obviously Giannis has the ball in his hands most of the time, and Brogdon can handle the ball as well. But Middleton being able to play make um, maybe when they stagger the minutes of the two players could be b- big for their bench units. They still have Greg Monroe, who actually opted in, um, who who you know played better last season towards the second half of the season after there were a lot of trade rumors about him before that. Um, so ultimately, I think it's kind of a, a relatively unchanged team. Just again, another year where they're facing a, a fairly significant injury for most of the season, um, and it'll be interesting to see again if they can take that jump. If they finish in the top four, or maybe even the top three, if they take if they make that big of a jump, and Giannis's um, stats improve, you know, he could be up there in the MVP race. I mean, I'm pretty sure he has the same odds as James Harden does this year. So people are expecting big things for him, and, and rightly so. Um, but again, his development, Thon Maker's bigger role in development, along with a fully healthy Middleton for hopefully the whole season, could make the difference as they jump in what is a, a, week, a weaker Eastern Conference than last season, of course. Yeah, and they also kind of got to get better with the shooting. I mean, they don't, you know, Maker's got to shoot better. Mm-hmm. You know, Giannis has got to develop more of a a, a jumper as well because teams are going to start to game plan for that and, and you know, kind of play him for the drives. You know, and it's something they've done already. So, you know, it's just so hard because he's so long. I know. <laughs> um, you know, his strides are really, you know, he can get to the to the rim probably off of like one or two steps just with how long his strides are. So uh, it's going to be an interesting run. I, 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 I'm, I'm pretty high on them. Yeah, I think they're going to make a jump too. I think I think that they're. I mean, if they were fully healthy, I would make. I expect them to make a big jump, but I still think they'll make a significant enough of a jump to warrant MVP discussion for Giannis and fight for those top four seeds. Um, all right, let's move on to the Detroit Pistons, who had a pretty eventful off season. Um, this whole division, actually, the, the remaining teams in the Central Division had very eventful off seasons. Some for good reasons, some for bad reasons. But in terms of the Pistons, their key losses I have is Contavious Caldwell Pope. Um, Marcus Morris, who of course they traded for one of their key additions, which we'll get to, and then Aaron Baines opted out um, of his play option and left for Boston. I think that ultimately they kind of made a choice. Uh, when Boston had signed Gordon Hayward, they had to get rid of some contracts, and the Pistons looked at Avery Bradley as a, against a replacement for KCP and didn't want to pay KCP that much money for maybe a long-term deal. Um, 
it's an interesting choice. I'm, I'm still not sure how I feel about it, especially with Bradley becoming an unrestricted free agent next year and probably going to command a significant amount of money, which would make this Pistons team very expensive for a team that has not had success as a core. Um, I'm not. I'm fine with the Aaron Baines leaving because they already had insurance in him in in, in Boban Marjanovic, one of my favorite, my favorite uh, bench <laughs> players. Um, so I'm fine with Baines leaving, and then ultimately, obviously, KCP went to the Lakers for a one-year deal. So he again will also be an unrestricted free agent next summer. But um, how do you feel about this choice that they made to kind of one to trade Morris for Bradley and then view Bradley as that replacement for KCP? Yeah, I I liked Morris for them. I thought he brought a level of toughness. And I think he's going to be a good addition for the the Celtics. Um, but I think Avery Bradley's a hell of a player. Yeah. You know, I think that was a, a great opportunity for them. I know it's definitely a risk. The guy is an unrestricted free agent. You know, you talked about them already having, you know, talk about them possibly being an expensive team going forward. They're an expensive team now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're they're at like $115 million, you know, salary. They're hard capped. You know, they they're going to be it's it's amazing that you know Andre Drummond's going to be getting you know 23 million this year mm-hmm. you know and it's going to continue to go up like that's an expensive roster that's an expensive team and you know when you compare Bradley to to Pope I mean they're kind of the same player yeah you know I I, I have the player comparison up on uh, basketball reference from just last season and you know Bradley shot 39% from three versus Pope's 35. You know, he, he was a better two-point shooter as well and just overall field goal percentage. Like, Bradley's just a better shooter. But the other thing that's really kind of stands out, the stat that really surprised me that I was like, wow, I didn't even realize it, Bradley averages six rebounds a game for the Celtics. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a big thing from a guard. You know, from your, your backcourt position, getting somebody that averages that many rebounds, it's a big help. And that's, you know, almost double what Pope averaged you know, for for the uh, Pistons. So it's it's kind of a interesting uh, trade. It makes sense. It's kind of just replacing uh, Pope with, with, you know, a guy that's probably a little bit better than him in Bradley, who's also a little bit older, going to expect a huge payday next year. But the good thing, too, is there's not going to be a lot of money next summer. Yeah. You know, there's not – Nobody's coming out and offering Avery Bradley twenty million next summer. Mm-hmm. Like if they do, it's going to be just they're going to get killed for that deal. Mm-hmm. Bradley should sign that the second that's offered. But I don't see that happening. There's just there's not going to be a lot of money to go around. So it's kind of a smart, calculated risk for the Pistons instead of paying Pope, you know, a huge contract now. Let's get Bradley, who's better, and we can probably get on a decent deal next year. You know, I th- I think it was a smart move on their end. Yeah, and I really like Avery Bradley, and his rebounding is, I think, an underrated aspect of his game that can help out um, as well. Um, he was only one of their key additions. The other key additions they had, Langston Galloway, which I'll get to his contract in a second, Anthony Tolliver, and then, of course, they drafted Luke Kennard with, the uh, I think, the 12th pick in the draft. I, I don't understand the Galloway signing. It was three years, $21 million, so it's $7 million per year. He's a fine bench player, but he's someone that they already have too much depth at backcourt to fit him in for that kind of money. I mean, if he took the minimum, I understand it. But three years, $21 million does not make sense when they've got Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith at point guard. Shooting guard, they got Avery Bradley and Luke Kennard to fit in. Um, you know, Galloway's can, be, can play both positions, but again, they're, they're basically already too deep at both. So it doesn't really, I don't really understand where he's going to fit in for that kind of contract. Um, 
you know, moving to Anthony Tolliver, I think he's a, he's a solid role player. He's returning to Detroit after he made a, a quick stop in Sacramento. Um, he's a good veteran presence. Um, he can space the floor somewhat for, uh, you know, a power forward. Um, and then the Kennard drafting, you know, obviously you can never really expect rookies to seriously contribute, and we don't know what kind of role he'll get, if, if he even gets consistent minutes. But he is a shooter, and Detroit was 28th in three-point percentage last season, so Hopefully he can get a role and kind of provide this team for more shooting, which of course Bradley will as well. Um, but this team does need more shooting, and and that's why I like the Bradley pickup, and I like you know Tolliver and Kennard. But uh, the the Galloway signing to me is just I, I don't I don't understand it at all. I mean, what do you think about some of the players they added this summer? Yeah, I'm not I'm not as down on on Galloway as you are, mm-hmm. but I, I'm not. I, I kind of think. You know, three years, twenty-one million. That's a seven million dollar a year deal for him. You know, he's not that bad. He's he's. It's a question of how many minutes he's going to get for them. And yeah, you know, I think he's. I think he's above Canard in their depth chart if they were to look at it now, going into training camp. Obviously, we'll see what happens and how that shakes out. But you know, he's not a. It's not a bad shooter. Shot thirty-nine percent from three last year. You know, that's something you just mentioned too. You know, being twenty-eighth and three-pointers, uh, three-point percentage last season, like that's something they needed to address. They addressed it with Bradley. They addressed it with Galloway. You know, I think he's okay. You know, I don't think he's great. I think, I don't think he, you would have been great to get him at the minimum, but I don't think that was out there. I think you know, he probably got a deal that's maybe he's overpaid, but not by too much. You know, mm-hmm. the maybe he's overpaid by two or three million a year. So I don't think it's a crazy deal. And again, they were hard. They're they're in a tough situation cap wise. So until they can find a way to get off Reggie Jackson's contract or Andre Drummond uh, Andre Drummond's contract, I think they have to kind of find these guys and, and marginal guys. And you, you know, this past summer and the summer before, you kind of had to overpay to get these types of guys. So they probably overpaid a little bit for Galloway, but I don't think it's that that big of a thing. It's not as crippling a deal as some of the other guys they have on their their roster. Kennard's a rookie. I'm not sure how much he's going to contribute right away, but he's again in line with what they need. You know, another shooter. He's kind of in the role of sort of like a JJ Reddick kind of thing. And this is what Stan Van Gundy had him as a rookie. And this is along the same line. So, you know, Reddick really gives Van Gundy a ton of credit for helping him as a, in his career. So maybe he can kind of work that same magic with Kennard, but it's not going to be something that He's not coming in right away. He's not going to help. You know, I don't think he's going to help, you know, in day one, you know, maybe towards the end of the year, you know, seeing how his minutes progress and how his development comes along. But he's not he's not a guy that's that's a game changer right off the bat. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, now that I'm remembering it. I think the biggest reason I'm, I'm I sound so down on the Galloway signing is that it. I think they signed him on July 1st. And I feel like. I mean, obviously, I, I don't know. I don't talk to the agents or the market or whatever like that. But I feel like just the way the market has played itself out, I mean, we still have some quality restricted free agents on the board. I feel like the way the market played out, and again, I don't know if other teams were chasing Galloway. Maybe they had to give him this contract. But I feel like just going off my you know my assumption is that if they had waited, I think they could have gotten Galloway cheaper. I, I just don't think that other teams I – mean, I could be wrong, obviously. I, I have no sources or anything like that. But I just feel like – other teams wouldn't be rushing to sign Galloway for $7 million a year for three years. I feel like if, even if they waited a couple of days or maybe even a week or two, they could have gotten him for maybe a two-year $10 million or something like that. That's just my speculation. But probably the biggest reason why I'm not – I'm so down on the Galloway signing is because they did it – I think they 
if I remember correctly, did it right on July 1st, like only a couple of hours into free agency. Um, but I, I think that's what makes the GM job so hard. Yeah. Right. It's you're 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 trying to predict the market. You're trying to figure out. I mean, a lot of people were surprised with how quickly the money dried up in this market. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's something that was foreseeable. But, you know, going into, you know, the end of the season, you know, a lot of people were like, this guy is going to be trying to get the max. This guy is going to be worth the max. I mean, George Hill was going to be a huge, you know, potential max player, turned down a big contract extension with the Jazz. You know, there's, there's, there's it's just so hard to predict that market. So I'm kind of a believer of like, if you really believe this is the guy you want, and granted, teams make mistakes. We all know what the Lakers did a year ago. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you really believe this is the guy you want and this is the guy that's really going to help your team, then you just got to go get him um, and, and, and not worry about what the, the market is. Yeah, and, yeah, in a sense, that that is definitely the case for GMs. I, I don't envy the pressures and roles of a GM. Um, but the question for the Pistons is obviously the East got weaker. We are almost guaranteed to have three teams that were in the playoffs last year drop out in the Hawks, Pacers, and Bulls. So, you know, obviously just, you know, you would expect the Pistons to just jump back in the playoffs just as a result of those teams dropping it. But the question is, did they really do enough to return to the playoffs just in a vacuum? I mean, did they add enough? Did they, some of the pieces they lost, were they significant enough? What do you think? Do you think Detroit did enough to return to the playoffs? It's so hard to tell with just how weird this Eastern Conference is. You know, I think they're they're in a better position than they were last year. But again, I'm not sure by how much. You know, this is one of those things where it's like they improved, but it wasn't really a massive improvement. Getting Avery Bradley is great, but you had a great defender in Cald- Caldwell Pope. You know, you're getting the same thing in Bradley, just you know, a little bit better shooter, a little bit better rebounder. You know, they've addressed their shooting needs. But they really aren't in a situation where they can add anything to their roster unless they're able to find a way to get off money of those big guys. So this is their roster going in, and it's kind of like how how different is it compared to last year's roster? I don't feel like it's that different. I think they're they're lucky they're in the East because by just kind of staying the same, it improved their odds <laughs> with just how bad the rest of the other teams got. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest things that Detroit ex- is expecting and hope and relying on to, to make a, a bigger jump and go back to the playoffs is Reggie Jackson kind of reverting back to two years form. Last year he was injured, he came back, he was not good. Um, if he can kind of stay healthy and play at that level he did two years ago, then of course they stayed the same. East teams, most teams, actually a couple teams got weaker and will almost surely drop off, especially the next two teams we're going to talk about. Um, and just by getting better, a better Reggie Jackson and some, you know, it's a similar roster, but there are some different pieces. So maybe Avery Bradley can perform better than Contavious Caldwell Pope. Galloway can fill a nice role off the bench or something like that. Tolliver, good veteran presence. More Boban minutes is always a good thing. Um, so I think that just hoping for a Reggie Jackson bounce back season and then hoping for their newer pieces to kind of fit in similar roles but do them better um, is what could take the Pistons back to the playoffs. Um, but yeah, yeah. They, they'll need Reggie Jackson to be Reggie Jackson from mm-hmm. two years ago. Absolutely. They need that. If they don't get that, then they could, again, miss the playoffs again, which would be extremely dis- disappointing because, as we mentioned before, this team is already expensive and could get even more expensive in the years to come. Um, but one of the teams they're definitely going to jump uh, are the Indiana Pacers. I'm just going to run through both their losses and additions because they do kind of coincide together. Mm-hmm. So we know the biggest loss, Paul George, but they also, you know, they did a sign-in trade involving C.J. Miles, so he went to Toronto, and then they let Jeff Teague sign with Minnesota. Um, those are three significant losses. Obviously, Indiana is 
what well, I thought they're going to prepare for a rebuild, but their additions somewhat say otherwise. Um, obviously, their return for George was Victor Oladipo and Demata Sabonis, which is something I still can't get over. Um, and then Corey Joseph was who they signed and trade. They received in the sign and trade for C.J. Miles. Um, but then they signed Bojan Bogdanovic for two years, $21 million. I think the second year is, I think, only $1 or $2 million guaranteed. And then they signed um, Darren Collison. And I don't remember the contract off the top of my head, but it was a multi-year deal, I'm pretty sure. Um, I, I'm not really – I mean, they should obviously be rebuilding, but they did acquire pretty um, established veterans. I mean, Bogdanovic and Collison, I'm pretty sure, are both 29 Corey, jo- Corey Joseph, I think, is around 26, 27. Obviously, Sabonis and Oladipo are younger and the, the key pieces in their return for George. But I'm not sure, you know, if I was the Pacers trying to definitely rebuild, I'm not sure why I would sign guys like Carlson and Bogdanovich um, instead of just looking for younger guys and draft picks. Um, what do you think? Obviously, I feel like people have talked enough about the Paul George trade, but we can talk about it in a vacuum with the other moves they made this summer. How do you view the Pacers kind of getting off to the start of their rebuild this summer? Yeah, I I'm, I think those deals are fine. They're really essentially one-year deals. And, you know, same for Carlson. You know, they're, they're unguaranteed for next year. So I think it's kind of an opportunity for them to – They you, you still got to put butts in the seats, man. You can't just be the worst – you know, they're, they're not going, we're going to just be god-awful. Um, don't get me wrong. I thought the trade was terrible. <laughs> they they basically gave OKC an out, you know, with, you know, Victor Oladipo's contract's a terrible contract to me. Yeah. Um, but, again, hometown hero, so there's definitely value for Indiana in that regard to have, you know, a former Hoosier there. And, and you know, he had great success at IU, so I could see them trying to kind of bring the fans in, I think. They're just kind of a weird franchise, and they're in a weird flux, and they're trying to figure it out. But when I kind of look at their salary situation, they're in a, they didn't commit themselves really to anything beyond this year financially except for the Oladipo contract. After that, they're going to have a ton of money. They're going to be one of those teams that would be able to say, hey, we're going to give this guy a huge contract next summer you know, because they've gotten off the books. You know, If I see it correctly, you know, you know, uh, you know if, if things play out. They're, they're going to be okay. They're going to be – they're definitely going to be one of the worst teams in the NBA, I guess. Not necessarily okay then, but they're going to struggle, um, and I think they're just trying to find their way. I think the key for them is trying to get Miles Turner to, to continue to improve as a player and kind of build around him, try to get Victor Oladipo to really kind of turn into the prospect we all thought he would be when he was the number two pick in Orlando. Yeah. Um, you, you know, so I think that's really on them to kind of develop that. I'm I'm not a big Oladipo fan, so you know Sabonis is is really a the same thing as T.J. Leaf to me. You know, like I don't know that's kind of confusing. You make that trade and then you draft T.J. Leaf. It's kind of the same guy. So I'm not really I'm not really sure what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I'm not a big Oladipo fan. I could totally see Oladipo having a big statistical year. Uh, I think his usage will take a significant jump. He'll have the ball in his hands a lot, um, so he could put up good, you know, counting numbers like points and rebounds and assists per game. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to translate to wins. Um, I just think that they're kind of stuck. I mean, they made enough moves, and it depends, you know, how much these guys play. But if they play big roles, I'm talking about, you know, Joseph Bogdanovich and Carlson and stuff like that. If they play big enough roles, this team might not be bad enough. I mean, this is one of my questions to answer, um, you know, is, you know, how bad will they end up being? You know, will they be bad enough to get a top five pick? I mean, 
they are a terrible team, but of course you've got the Bulls, who I think are worse. Um, then there are other teams like the Suns, and you know there are, the Kings made some. The Kings had a quasi similar offseason in terms of getting young pieces, but also getting veterans. Um, so I mean, will they be bad enough to get a top five pick, which is obviously something you would like to do if you're going to be starting a rebuild? Um, you know, will, do you think they're going to be bad enough with some of these kind of fringe role players slash starter signings that they made? Yeah, because none of those guys move the needle for me. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the sense of if you're going to depend on guys who've been consistently role players in their entire careers for the most part, you know, to to step up and be your stars, then you're pretty screwed. <laughs> yeah, and that's probably what they figured. They figured that they can get some of these guys and, and you know, get put, as you said, put butts in the seat. Obviously, Old Depot will put butts in the seat and people are expecting things from him, but they're also still on the, at the same time be sneakily slash quietly bad enough to get that that really valuable draft pick to to join with Miles Turner and I guess Old Depot and Sabonis because they most likely view them as key pieces for their rebuild um, moving forward. Uh, but they and I don't I don't yeah. want anybody to think I think these guys are bad players. It's 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 all about the roles you put these guys. Like Bogdanovich in that role for Washington coming off the bench and being that you know small forward stretch four if they if they wanted to play small ball was a good role. I was with Darren Collison when he was with us with the Clippers, and he was great for us as a backup. And he did a great job when Chris Paul went down with an injury. Um, he had a sh- shoulder injury that year, and he did a great job for us, you know, kind of stepping into that role. But counting on these guys to be a, you know, to, to be a game changer is really where I get concerned. Yeah, and, and I think they kind of understand that they're, that that's not something to rely on, and that's why they're going to be sneakily bad yet still have enough. Yeah. Players, especially Old Depot, to entice fans to, to keep coming to the games. Um, but I don't think they're going to be the worst team in their division. That's because the Chicago Bulls had probably just as bad, if not worse, of an offseason. Um, obviously, the key loss, again, like Paul George trade, was the Jimmy Butler trade that is still people are still laughing at. Um, they, Rondo left. He went to New Orleans. Michael Carter-Williams left. He went to Charlotte. And they lost other fringe players like Isaiah Cannon and Anthony Morrow. Um, that Butler trade was just another highway robbery. I mean, I, I still can't... The thing I can't get over is the fact that the Bulls also gave up the 16th pick in the draft. When they were giving up Butler, um, for again, they got Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and the 7th pick, which they drafted Laurie Markkinen. Um, the fact that they actually gave up the 16th pick in that deal, and in addition to Butler to Minnesota, is, is just beyond me. Um, but I already mentioned the other three key additions. Their final addition was Justin Holiday. Um... I think that was a fine signing. It was, I think it's I think it's two years, eight million, which is certainly reasonable. He's a quasi three and D wing um, to an extent. But uh, Zach Levine is coming off a torn ACL. Um, I'm not sure if it, if anyone has said when he's coming back. I think people are not expecting him back. Kind of like Jabari Parker, I think maybe towards you know the second half of the season. Um, I think these Bulls are going to be terrible. I mean, they clearly view Chris Dunn better than almost everyone else does. Um, he had a he had a really bad rookie season, and he's already I think twenty two or twenty three because he came out um, late out of Providence. So, um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Laurie Markin. I know he provides shooting as a big man, and something obviously that the Bulls need is shooting. Um, they're probably going to buy out Dwayne Wade. Um, I think this team is going to be really really bad, which will allow them to get. I think they can get the number one pick overall. Um, what do you think about you know? Obviously, you can talk about the Jimmy Butler trade and then obviously the other things that they did and, you know, what their season looks like moving forward. Yeah, I mean, the the inclusion of the pick was weird in the Butler trade. I don't mind that 
if you're getting another pick back or a future pick or things like that. The fact that there were no future picks exchanged. And that was, I think, the same thing with the Pacers and OKC deal, too. Like, you're giving up these stars, but you're not getting a, any assets for the future. About You know, I think, like, that's kind of weird to me, and that's just a, a, a bad – makes it a bad trade. You know, I'm not sure what's going to happen with Levine. He's kind of in a weird spot. Um, you know, he's he feels like the kind of guy that should be able to thrive in this NBA where – He's long, he's athletic, he should be able to defend, you know, could become a decent shooter and all of that. But he's not, just hasn't made that leap yet. Um, and the injury is definitely going to set him back. And the big concern, too, is, you know, for a guy that really, his skills are based on his athleticism. You know, if he begins to lose that athleticism, then you have a huge problem and it's definitely an issue. Um, I'm not as down on Dunn as everybody else. I know he had a bad season. But he's also, I mean, again, he's he's older than most rookies. He's 23 or 24 or whatever. But it's his second year in the league. The point guard position is a tough position. You know, it took Kyle Lowry a long time to figure it out. Yeah. You know, and he bounced around. He, Memphis, Houston, um, finally finds a home in, in Toronto and kind of figured it out. So I'm not ready to give up on Dunn just yet. I, I So I, I, I kind of think I'm okay with that. I'm with you on both the signings. Like, Holiday was was all right. Cristiano Felicio, like, I'm not sure what the other suitors were out there. Um, mm-hmm. Again, not a terrible deal. Like, you know, when you look at their their money going forward, too, they're, they're not really – they don't really have a huge – nobody's really getting a huge amount of money, you know, and I'm assuming they're going to buy out Wade at some point. Um, but even if they don't, next year – I mean, the, the highest-paid guy is Robin Lopez – and he's on the last year of his deal that next year, which means he might be getting moved at some point this year as well. You know, so I, I, I'm not really, I'm, I'm with you. They're trying to be the worst team in the league. They're definitely tanking. I think they will be, or they'll be up there in the top three and, and, and trying to get, you know, one of the stars in the, uh, you know, in the, in the coming draft. So, uh, I just, yeah, I'm not really, they're just going to be crappy. Yeah, yeah, they really will be terrible. And the thing is that, I mean, if you're going to be bad, I think that you should just, you know, really be bad. And, you know, they could, I think they're going to be the worst team in the league. Obviously, they could be very close to maybe, even if they're in the top three, they're still going to get a quality player in the draft. As you mentioned, they have a lot of cap space um, moving forward. I'm not sure, you know, obviously some stars will look at Chicago and say, oh, that's enticing. And then Chicago could throw money at them. Um, But at the same time, if a star is looking to win, that, you know, Chicago probably won't be ready for a, you know, a couple of years based on what they just did um, with the Jimmy Butler trade and how bad they're probably going to be. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I, I mean, I can't really decide which trade do you think is the worst, the Paul George trade or the, or the Jimmy Butler trade? I'm really just going to say the Paul George trade because they basically gave OKC the best player in that trade and gave OKC a salary dump. You know, so if OKC loses George next year, it's not that bad of a deal because they got off Oladipo's money. Yeah. You know, and and, and I mean, I was shocked when they gave him the deal last year, the extension with Oladipo. And I was like, what are you guys doing? Like, that's just at least see how he fits into the team before you do this. And, you know, whatever they did it and that's what it was. You know, so that's why I think the George deal to me is worse than the Butler deal, because at least with the Butler deal. These are two young kids, you know, they, they didn't get really any draft picks. You know, they got Laurie Markkinen and, and all that. But 
they're young guys. There's still a chance to be there. Something, you know, done going into the second year of the league. Levine, we don't know what's going to happen. At the very least, again, he's if he's healthy, he's going to be a highlight reel. I think, you know, they have young pieces. They'll be able to add a pick. I think they're better situated going for, for the future than the Pacers are. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you. I think that the underrated aspect of that George trade is that Oladipo himself makes more money than George on George's current contract. So yeah, it was a salary dump. And even if George leaves, it just it opens up a lot of cap space for the Thunder. You know, theoretically, if Westbrook were, were to leave as well, um, to allow them to kind of retool or rebuild depending on who leaves. So I have to agree with you ultimately. Um, all right. Well, that concludes the previews for the teams in the Central Division, or a really interesting division. A lot of teams, well, a good amount of them got significantly worse. The Cavs are always in flux, and then we we obviously expect the Bucks to make a jump. Um, Let's move to the Pacific Division, who there are a bunch of interesting teams here. Um, but let's start off, of course, with the Warriors. Um, not a very interesting offseason, but again, they did make some kind of smaller moves that could pay a, bit, a big difference later on. I have their key losses being Ian Clark. Um, I guess you count you could count Matt Barnes as a key loss or James Michael McAdoo, but nothing to really write home about. Um, and I, th- I think Clark is the most significant loss, but again, he's kind of redundant. They have Patrick McCaw, and then when you look at the, the additions they made in Nick Young, Omri Caspi, um, Jordan Bell in the draft, and then, of course, they, they signed the rest of their core. Kevin Durant took that pay cut to, to fit in a good contract for Iguodala and for Sean Livingston. I just think that the rich got richer, and really the only question I think to talk about with the Warriors is will they win 70-plus games? Um, you know, I think obviously they could if they wanted to, um, but... You know, they're probably going to be smart with resting. Um, I think that even with resting, they could still win 70 games. That's how good this team is. But ultimately, I feel like there's not that much to talk about with the Warriors. I think they just got, they just got richer and better. And I know a lot of teams in the West um, kind of stocked up, like the Rockets and the Timberwolves and the Thunder, um, hoping to challenge them. But again, in that kind of, in the same summer that those teams got significantly better, even the Warriors, I think, got, you know, if, if only slightly better, they did somewhat improve and get more depth on their roster. So um, I don't think there's much to talk about the Warriors besides the fact that if they're going to go for 70-plus wins or maybe even 72, 73 wins again. Yeah, I, my first thought with the Warriors and when I look at their offseason is they actually won the offseason. Mm-hmm. They did better than any other team. They re-signed their core, mostly at discounts thanks to Kevin Durant. They shored up their their bench like that was a big thing last season was they had to gut the team to get Kevin Durant so to speak you know but getting Omri Caspi was is a huge get for them yes you know Nick Young you know he's silly and he's goofy but he's gonna be he's gonna play a role for them coming off the bench and and still he's able to shoot it's a skills that definitely you know kind of his skills line up perfectly for how the Warriors play you know he'll have to he's a so he's he's an underrated one-on-one defender. Mm-hmm. He's a terrible help defender. Yeah. But that's that they're going to have to work on with him and, and and try to get there. But I think he wants to win right now. I think there's that. I think, you know, again, you know, getting Jordan Bell from the Bulls, you know, was a huge gift for them. A, a potential rim protector, a young guy. Like, that's the one thing they've been trying to find is that young big, you know, get him on the cheap. They've tried it with James Michael McAdoo. They tried it with... Uh, Damian Jones, I think, was his name or, or something along those lines. But I think that's kind of the thing. And that's where I think they're going to – they really are a uh, – they really won the offseason by just shoring up the bench with really this – is, this is what good GMs do. Great deals, 
for guys that just fit the role perfectly for the team. Omri Caspi is going to walk in, and he's a perfect fit for that squad. Better than anybody else that they signed this year besides any new free agents that they signed. He's the guy that's going to walk in and make a big difference for them. So I'm, I'm a believer in them in that sense. As far as 70 wins, I mean, they're going to be better next year just by continuity level mm-hmm. yeah. and a comfort level with the majority of their core coming back. I mean, I feel like they're going to just walk into 60. It's all a question of how much do they want to rest and if they really want to go for it, you know. And what's kind of funny is that they can rest guys and still potentially have the best lineup on the court. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, like, that's kind of the thing with them. And, and you know, that was one of the things the Spurs would do. They would rest their guys but still win those games. And, it you know, it wasn't necessarily the firepower that the uh, Warriors have. So I think – you know, they can, they're easily going to get 60 wins in my book. You know, 70's hard, though. It's a long season. It's even longer now from, you know, with it starting earlier in October 17th. The games are more spread out, but still, it's a long season. And that kind of wears you down. There's a mental fatigue to it. There's a whole grind to it. So 70 wins might be a bit tough, but if they really want to go for it, they have the tools to do it. Yeah, and I think that I think that they ultimately won't care. But the thing that you mentioned, it's I think the most the funniest part is that they could even they could rest Kevin Durant and Draymond Green and still have an elite team and probably the better team on the floor for a game. You know, still have Curry and Thompson and, and now a more improved bench and some quality role players like Iguodala. So I think that they're never going to rest. I think Kerr already said this. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think he already said that he's never going to rest all four of their big four at once, but he's going to strategically rest like two here, two there, um, which again gives him a chance to be in every single game. Obviously, of course, you know, depending on injuries, we saw Kevin Durant get injured last year and they struggled for a couple of, you know, for like a week or two, um, but then they bounced back. And as you said, they, they improved their depth, their bench and their depth, um, which is a big thing for them. And yeah, I think that you, know, you could definitely say that they won the offseason while, again, other teams are trying to chase them. But a team with a more interesting offseason, actually a very fascinating offseason, with the L.A. Clippers. Um, so obviously, um, most people expected Chris Paul and Blake Griffin to re-sign. That was kind of the expectation going into the summer. And then a couple of days before free agency started, we got this kind of this wash bomb that Chris Paul was going to opt in and the Clippers would trade him to the Rockets. And now... Before we get to the other key losses and key additions that the team had, um, I think the, the trade for Paul, obviously I think it worked out for the Rockets. They got Chris Paul. But for the Clippers, I think it's underrated about how good of a return they got for Paul. So they got Pat Beverly, who is probably my favorite player in the NBA, Lou Williams, Sam Decker, Montrez Harrell. And they also got a first-round pick, which, again, they later used in a sign-in trade that eventually got them Danilo Gallinari. Um, and then they uh, brought in Milos Teodosic from Europe. Um I think that the return for Paul will allow them, I think, I mean, as of right now, it's only August, but I still have them as a, a fringe playoff team, kind of in that seven or eight seed, and that's because of the return they got for Paul. Um, they're now suddenly a deeper team that, you know, obviously the, the problem with the Clippers has been their bench in recent years and their lack of a small forward. Um, and while I'm not a huge fan of the Gallo signing slash trade, um, because I think he's best suited for to be a power forward at this point in his career and with the modern NBA. He still is the best small forward they've had on the roster in this kind of quote-unquote Lob City era, which I guess is now gone. But um, I think the return for Paul will ultimately you know, offset the other losses that they had, such as J.J. Redick, Jamal Crawford, Raymond Felton, Mabah Muti, I think is kind of an underrated loss, and then Maurice Spates. But 
I think that the return for Paul gives him a deeper team. Um, Gallinari can fill in at small forward. they got to hope for a healthy Blake Griffin and Gallinari to an extent. And just the kind of role players that they'll have fitting in alongside um, Griffin and Jordan will allow them to be fighting for the playoffs, if not make it as a 7 or 8 seed. So what do you think about their interesting offseason that obviously had a lot of additions and losses? Yeah, I mean, they definitely had the most like up and down off season in my book, the Chris Paul trade was, it worked out well for them. They were able to get pieces back and, and, and good pieces. Like you said, you know, I think, you know, Patrick Beverly's a, a ball hawk defensively and, and, you know, he, he's going to be all over guards and stuff. And I think that really helps, you know, I like Sam Decker, Lou Williams kind of made Jamal Crawford expendable and you, you, you know, Montrez Harrell, kind of as a throw-in in the deal, but another big, you know, for them, it's always nice to have, you know, and he had a good run with the Rockets when Capella went hurt, and he had to play yeah. some major minutes, so he was helpful there. So, you know, they definitely got a good haul in that regards. You know, um, I'm exactly with you on the Gallo signing, uh, the sign-in trade, mm-hmm. and I also didn't like that they – the one thing I liked about the Paul trade – was that they were getting also an asset back in a draft pick, which is something that they just don't. The Clippers never, like they didn't have a draft pick this past year um, in the in the first round, you know. And they always kind of just send a just trade away draft pick after draft pick. They just give them away like candy, you know, um, under the when Doc was running the show. So I think it's one of those things where it's like I wasn't happy when they gave that up to Atlanta to facilitate this sign and trade. Gallo to me. You said it. He's a power forward in this NBA. He's not a small forward. Like when you're lining up against the Warriors and he's got to take Durant on, like, come on, dude. That's that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. You're, you, my, my bigger issues with the team, although they got Patrick Beverly, who's a good defender. They got Austin Rivers, who can be a good defender when he wants to be. They have DeAndre Jordan, who's the anchor defensively. But after that, you don't have guys that really defend, that are known for defending, you know. Milos Tadosic, he's going to be fun to watch. He's not going to guard anybody. You yeah. know, the, you know, Lou Williams, he's not defending anybody. Sam Decker's like marginal at best as, as a defender. So I'm not sure it's really a great, they're a deeper team. They got more talent, but they're not really a better team. Yeah. You know, that's why, you know, my, my question is like, if people want to talk about Chris Paul and the regards of, you know, his playoff failures and stuff, well, he got them into the playoffs, you know, and they, they still, they're going to be Blake Griffin's injury questions. You know, Gallo has an injury history as well. Like it's, it's going to be a weird thing. And what are you going to do? Your starting lineup is going to be, uh, I'm assuming Austin Rivers is going to start Patrick Beverly, or, you know, or, you know, your, your, your three is going to be Gallinari. Then, then Blake when he's healthy and DJ, like that's a big lineup, but your front court, you only have one defensive guy and DJ. Like, I just don't see it happening. I just, I'm not, I'm not a big believer in this Clipper team. I think they're kind of on the fringe. You know, I think they're in the six to ten range mm-hmm. in terms of where they're going to fall in the playoff seating, depending how things break for them. But I could easily see them out of the playoffs. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for them is is the injuries. Um, you mentioned Griffin. You mentioned Gallinari. Beverly himself is always has always previously missed around ten to fifteen games a year. Um, you mentioned the defense. They were thirteenth defensively last year. That could. I would expect that to slip probably maybe to late teens, um, you know, maybe around 20, um, depending on the injuries to, to their better defenders like Patrick Beverly. Um, 
I, I have to agree with you. They're, they're a tough team predict, to predict, obviously, with injuries, but also the team itself is kind of strange. You mentioned that starting that starting lineup could be interesting. I mean, who who really does start at point guard? Do you put Beverly or Tia Dosich there? Do you put Austin Rivers? Um, could play both guard positions. Um, obviously, it's a big lineup that's not really mobile in terms of Gallinari, Blake, and DeAndre Jordan on the floor at the same time, which is why we both agree that Gal is best suited at power forward for this point, but I guess... They don't see that that way, and they and they put them on the small forward. Um, I guess we already talked about them making the playoffs. My other question is, do you think Doc Rivers is on the hot seat? Um, obviously, they, they removed his GM duties, which they should have done a while ago, and most coaches cannot handle being both the GM and the coach. It's just two different kind of visions for a team. Um, but even as a coach, do you think he's on the hot seat, depending on, you know, say, if they you know, do make if they miss the playoffs and are like the ninth or tenth seed, as you as you said, they could possibly do. Yeah, I mean, I think they definitely. I, I I think the seat's getting warmer. I don't know how hot it is yet, but you know, they just they just announced you know two two front office moves as well with um, Trent Redding coming in as an assistant GM, and I believe it's uh, uh, Eric Winger from Oklahoma City supposedly coming in as the the general manager, and they I read somewhere they want to add even another assistant GM, so. You know, it, he is going to be under the hot seat because these are guys that aren't his guys. Mm-hmm. You know, Doc came into the Clippers and had total control, brought, brought in all of his guys. You know, Lawrence Frank, who's now the team president, is somebody that Doc set up. You know, uh, before him, it was Kevin Eastman and, and, and Dave Wool and those guys. So, you know, his, his seat is warming up. And we're going to find out really how good of a coach Doc Rivers is. Because, you know, every year there's always question marks. People are like – is he a good coach? Isn't he a good coach? Nobody really knows. I think he has good X's and O's, but we're going to see really what he can do with this team, with a roster that's not really a perfect fit, with a lot of holes. We're going to find out how good of a coach Doc Rivers is this year. This is going to be his biggest coaching challenge because it was easy when you had Chris Paul. It's plug and play. It's pick and roll for Chris. You know, yeah. get like the ball in the right positions and the right spots. Now it's a little tougher. Now you're going to have a harder time with playmakers and and things like that. You know, your your best playmaker is Blake Griffin. Like, yeah. who on this team is the real playmaker for others? Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, you know, it's We're going to find out how good of a coach Doc is. Yeah, and, and one other thing I also want to talk about really quickly is that um, I just want to mention that, you know, I think that for a Clippers team, I think in past seasons it's been pretty visible that they've kind of struggled with pressure and expectations. I think that them not having those expectations, the lofty expectations that they did with Chris Paul. Um, obviously, they still have Blake Griffin. They've got Jordan. They've got, they're a deeper team now, but they don't have Chris Paul, that star at point guard anymore. I think that will help them in some regard, just you know, not have to deal with so much pressure and expectations you know, to make the conference finals, to, be a, to make a deep playoff run, to be a top three or four seed. I think that could help them slightly. Um, and again, as you said, and I agree, I think it's going to be the most interesting and uh, most important you know, coaching season for Doc Rivers to kind of show how good he is or you know, maybe how overrated he is, depending on how people view him. Um, so it's certainly going to be an interesting season in Clipperland. Um, moving to the Kings, again, an interesting season that I had mentioned before when we were talking about the Pacers. Um, I think in terms of key losses, there weren't that many to write home about. Ben McLemore and Tyreek Evans both went to the Grizzlies, and we already talked about Anthony Tolliver going to the Pistons. Um, of course, it was a disappointing end to McLemore's Kings run. People expected a little bit more from him when he was drafted. I think he was drafted in, I think, was he a top seven pick? I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but ultimately, a disappointing run in Sacramento. Key additions, there were a lot of them. Um, so, of course, in the draft, they had three draft picks. They, have, they actually traded their 10-1 to get 15-20. and 20. 
They drafted De'Aaron Fox, Justin Jackson, and Harry Giles. Um, and then in free agency, they kind of took an a, a interesting approach depending on how you view it. They added veterans in George Hill, Zach Randolph, and Vince Carter. Um, and of course, they brought in Bogdan Bogdanovich from overseas, but he's not exactly an NBA veteran. But it's really, you know, I really want to get your perspective because I think this is one of the more interesting offseasons. They gave, um, you know, decent contracts to Hill and Randolph. Um, obviously Carter's just a one-year deal. I mean, the, George Hill's a really good point guard. Randolph can still contribute. And Vince Carter, obviously, I know he's 40 years old, but he still was, you know, a solid role player off the bench last season for Memphis. Um, they're going to, I think they're trying to twist it as they're bringing in veterans to kind of stabilize the culture in Sacramento and, you know, be a good role model for their, uh, their really young core. They have a lot of young pieces, not only who they added this summer, but also Willie Cauley-Stein, Buddy Heald, Skyler Bissier, um, so in that regard, I do like that they brought in the veteran signings. But at the same time, I kind of, I'm just kind of fifty-fifty. Like I, I just don't know how I feel about what they did this offseason in terms of their free agents added. So I really want to get your perspective on on what the Kings did this summer. Yeah, I first off, about time they had a good draft. <laughs> you, you know, um, I liked everybody that I really liked the Aaron Fox. Yes, I think he's a ball buster. I think he's. Just gonna, he's got to develop a jumper for sure, but I think he just really gets into you defensively. I think he's, you know, a good playmaker, really fast, can really get to the rim, and he's going to be able to make moves. I know people are worried about, you know, him being too skinny and and slight and all of those things, but I still think, you know, he he was a great pickup for them. I think having George Hill as a mentor for him is also going to really help. You know, you know, Hill can defend, man. He's a good defender. He can yeah. shoot the ball. He can, you know. He can he can run an offense. He's not really a playmaker as much as he can just kind of run the offense. But I think that's where Fox is a little bit better. But I think Hill was a good signing for them. I think you know it's the thing about it. And I don't think people kind of realize too is he's on actually a, such a good deal that it's actually a movable deal. So you know after this year, if they feel like the Aaron Fox is ready to take the reins next season, you know they can find assets. They can move Hill for an asset. You know and. And, and that's, you know, I don't know if that's what they were thinking when they signed the deal and set it up. But I think, you know, I looked at it going like, use him as a mentor. Then when the time's right, you know, ship him off somewhere and try to get some assets back for him. Mm-hmm. I look at the Zach Randolph and Vince Carter signing as like, they're both going to a coach that they love. They both love Dave Yeager. Yeah. You know, they played with him in Memphis and, you know, he, he knows how to use these guys and he knows what to, to bring in with them. You know, Randolph is a great many people it doesn't look that way on the outside but he's a great presence in the locker room Mm -hmm. good vet you know real good guy real good mentor to the young guys vince carter as well so i think you know they got a really young roster and it was smart to kind of bring in a couple of vets and things like that you know uh justin jackson another good pickup you know, I think Harry Giles, after he gets his rehab going and things like that, you know, not, I don't have high expectations for him, but he could be a sneaky pickup for them, you know, in, in, in the draft. I think overall they have a – they're not going to be good. They're not going to be winning games, but they have, a, they have a future now. Whereas before we felt like, like, what the hell are these guys doing? Like, what's next, you know? Um, but they kind of have a future, and they're slowly building together, you know, a roster. And with – you know, I think they have to come to a decision with, you know, Willie Cauley-Stein and Scott LeBissier and, and, and kind of who who do they kind of want to go with going forward. You know, I don't think it's smart to keep both of them 
and, and so on. But I think they're kind of building something there. It's going to take time. It's not easy to attract free agents there. It's a, it's definitely a challenge. So they're, but they're on the, for once in a long time, they're kind of on the right track. They didn't have an off season that was just God awful. You know, yeah. I think they, they had an okay off season. Yeah. And the thing, the question with, well, there's two questions, but one kind of leads into the other. Is The first question is how much will those vets play, especially Hill and Randolph. Um, especially Hill, I think, he, obviously, we talked about him before. You know, we, he, he turned down that lucrative contract extension with the Jazz during last season. People expected him to get a big contract. Obviously, the market kind of shored up. But he's still a very good point guard. Um, obviously, how much those guys play will somewhat depend on how bad the Kings are. And the real question is, you know, will they be bad enough to get a top-five pick? Because... And this is important because in 2018, the upcoming draft, they have their pick. But in 2019, they don't have their pick. Um, so it's, you know, they should somewhat incentivize being bad for 2018 because that's the year they actually have their pick. And they can add another big, um, good young piece to that core that's growing. Uh, but 2019, they don't have their pick. So at that point, they should, you know, they shouldn't really be that focused on being terrible. Um, you know, adding these veterans, I don't expect them to play that much. Um but, you know, that could somewhat get in the way of being, you know, bad enough for a top five pick when you think about the Bulls, the Pacers, the Hawks, you know, the Suns, maybe even the Lakers. So, you know, do you think they're going to be bad enough to really add that, you know, other piece next year in the, in the 2018 draft? I don't know. You know, the, the, the funny thing is the competition for being some of the worst teams in the league is actually pretty strong this year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we already talked about Indiana and Chicago. Um I'm not sure what the situation is in Atlanta. I'm not really sure what Orlando is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's four teams off the bat. Um, Phoenix doesn't project to be really good to me. No. Um, I know we're going to talk about them here in a little bit. So I, 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 there's a lot of competition to be a bad team. <laughs> you, you know, um, especially from the East with how many teams are just going to struggle in the East. So um, I, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think they're bad enough to be a to ne- necessarily be having the one of the worst five records, you know, I, they got competitive guys who want to win, you know? So I don't think, you know, Hill's going to go out there and, and, and kind of just go through the motions. Like he wants to win when he's out there. He's a competitive kid. I dealt with him in San Antonio. He wants to win, mm-hmm. you know, Randolph wants to win. Like these guys aren't going to just kind of sit by it on the side and same for De'Aaron Fox and these guys. So I, I, I don't think so. Yeah. And that's interesting. I mean, Obviously, they finish with a six or seven pick. You know, they can still get a quality player, but usually you want to try and get, you know, a top three, top five pick to get a really foundational young piece to add to that core. So, again, it's a really interesting offseason. I think so, I've heard some people love the offseason. I've heard some people hate their offseason, but it's, I think it's certainly one of the more polarizing offseasons. But, again, it's finally about time they had a good draft. They added, you know, they added good veterans, and we'll see if, what that does to their, um, you know, quote-unquote tanking incentives next season. But, um Let's move on to the final two teams in the Pacific Division. We've got the Los Angeles Lakers, who, again, you know, this, they could be better than the Kings. We don't really know. It kind of depends on, you know, how good people think Lonzo Ball will be and the other, you know, additions. Because they, they, this is another team, like the Clippers, that did have a lot of moving pieces this summer. So key losses include D'Angelo Russell, Nick Young. Um, I don't know if you count Timothy Mosco as a key loss, but he is certainly a notable name and a notable contract. And then Tariq Black also left. Um, ultimately, D'Angelo Russell, you know, they were they were going to add Lonzo Ball, but ultimately Russell was kind of that price to pay to get rid of Mo- the Mozgov contract, which is still just one of the worst contracts, I think, ever. Um, and then also, the, you know, other role players kind of left, like Young and Black, and, you know, that leaves 
room for the younger guys because they did add a bunch of younger guys, like, of course, Lonzo Ball. They brought back Brooke Lopez in that trade with Russell and Mozgov going to the Nets. They drafted Kyle Kuzma, um, Josh Hart, and then ultimately later in the summer when the Pistons kind of moved on from Contavious Caldwell Pope, they signed um, they signed him to a one-year, $18 million a year to, to keep their cap space open for 2018, which is obviously their goal because of the Paul George rumors. Um, they trying to, you know, it's been rumored that they're trying to attract two stars to come to LA, um, to maybe to play alongside Ball, who certainly has the hype and the expectations and the attention, especially um, some part due to his play on the court, some part due to his father uh, off the court. Um, so, you know, the Lakers could be exciting to watch this year. I don't think they're going to be very good again. Um, but I guess my questions for you are, you know, how big of an improvement will they make and will they be able to attract a star next summer? Yeah, I, they're going to be exciting to watch for sure. And, you know, they weren't bad to watch last year either. Yeah. You know, they they, they were definitely fun to watch. Um, I'm not as big on ball as everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think he's going to be a good player. I'm not necessarily sure he's going to be a superstar as much as because he needs the right people around him. To, to make those, you know, he's going to make guys better, but he also needs the right type of players around him. Kyle Kuzma was a phenomenal pickup for them. Mm-hmm. That was a great draft pick for them. He was awesome in summer league yeah. and I know summer league, but we'll, we'll see how that kind of translates. But you can tell him and ball already kind of have a good rapport with each other and, and, and a comfort playing together. So I think that was awesome. Um, I would have liked to have seen them keep Russell and see if Russell could have played the, the, the off guard position for them a bit, but I get it. You got to get off that contract. And if Russell was the price to pay, that's, that's the price you got to pay. The Caldwell Pope thing, like everybody's, you know, it, it, it's, it's an interesting move, you know, sign him to a one year deal. You know, some people were like, Oh, they're doing it. Cause it's a rich, uh, rich Paul client. Who's also LeBron's agent. And, and it's kind of a favor to him and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Pope's going to be the guy that can defend for them because that was the other issue. The Lakers had last year. No defense, yeah. you know, and and Lonzo isn't very good defensively. He's good in a kind of like a free safety kind of way where, you know, off the ball, he can try to read the passing, play the passing lanes. Well, people will talk about that and he's going to get a lot of steals, but he's also going to get burned a lot. He's going to gamble and hurt you that way. But Pope is there and he can kind of lock down the primary, you know, ball handler or the best player on each team, you know, every night and kind of relieve that pressure of ball. Definitely has a ton of talent, though, right? And I think the team's going to be fun to watch. They're going to be passing a lot more. Passing's contagious. When you have a guy like Ball who moves the ball the way he does, you, you'll find that guys who you're like, man, I didn't realize he was that good of a passer. He wasn't until Ball got there. And mm-hmm. kind of, it's a contagious thing. So that's definitely going to happen. I think they're going to improve, but they're not going to be anything phenomenal. You know, yeah. I think they're not going to be one of the worst five teams in the league. They're going to surprise teams here and there each night, but they're not going to be anything more than like, I think if they get 35 wins, that's a huge, huge day for the Lakers, a huge season. That's great. I still think they're about the same. I think they're about a 30 win team, you know, and, and as far as next season, a lot of that depends on how they look this year. You know, the, yeah. the talk of LeBron being the guy they're going to target and, and Paul George. And of course now in the past two days with this whole tampering thing, mm-hmm. You know, we we don't know how that's going to play out, but it, it really depends on how good these guys, these young guys are right away. Uh, one guy we haven't even talked about, Brandon Ingram, who I think is going to have a big season. I think he's yeah. going to have a breakout year. I think, you know, him and Thon McCor, who we talked about earlier, 
are going to be two guys that are going to compete for most improved, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of what these stars are going to look at next summer. Can 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 I go there? Like if it's LeBron, is he going to look there and go, can I go there and beat the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals? I'm going to say no, he can't. <laughs> I mean, as the way they're currently constituted. Now, if they get Paul George, maybe. I mean, maybe that's an interesting thing. You know, a lineup of Ball, Ingram, LeBron, and, and George – Definitely makes things really interesting. Yeah. But again, we know how this this tampering thing is really interesting only because I'm not taking it serious unless there's actual evidence. So I'm kind of waiting to see if there's an actual piece of evidence. Because if there is, then the league is going to do something where they can't – the Lakers can't go get Paul George. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing about um, you know trying to attract stars is – on the one hand, of course, you your young core and team has to look good and promising. On the other hand, it also depends on what those stars do with their teams this year. So, you know, LeBron is different. We already talked about him. The Kyrie Irving situation might play a big deal. His ten you know tenuous relationship with Dan Gilbert. But for Paul George, let's say for example, I mean, I love the Thunder offseason. Let's say for example, the Thunder have a really good season. They make the conference finals and they take a game or two off the Warriors. And maybe, you know, Westbrook and George are talking to each other and they say, listen, we, you know, we made the conference finals. We at least took a game or two off the Warriors. You know, we had, we could have something special here. And maybe George looks at the Lakers and they disappoint or, you know, they're not exciting or he sees that if he goes there, they're just going to be a losing team or a mediocre team. And he says, you know what, you're right. You know, let's stay and win in Oklahoma City. You know, stars, you know, on the one hand, it's about how your team looks, but also how those stars how the seasons go for those stars on, you know, sometimes for new teams in the case of Paul George, probably their number one realistic target. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. OKC has a year long recruiting pitch. Yeah. So, it's, it, you know, and, and, and so you're right in that regards, like how those guys do and, and how they play this year is going to have an effect on whether they want to leave or not. Exactly. So it, it's going to be interesting. They're going to be keeping a track on, on OKC season, how Westbrook and George mesh together and how quickly, it takes them to get you know comfortable and, and playing alongside each other, and of course you know how good or how promising the Lakers look will also affect their ability to attract the star next summer. But um, they they won't be you know that much better. They won't be terrible, but they should at least be fun to watch this year, which is something you couldn't say in, in somewhat previous of seasons. But the final team in the Pacific Division, the Phoenix Suns, another you know quiet off season for the Suns. I guess the key losses that they have. I mean, I don't know if you count Leandro Barbosa, but he did. He is still a free agent, and Brandon Knight. Um, I'm pretty sure he's out for the year. Um, I can't remember exactly what his injury was, but they said he was going to be out for the year. Which again, that contract looks even worse now that he's just not really playing and not really doing anything. Um, but other than that, they didn't really lose anything uh, in terms of key additions. It was only in the draft. Obviously, Josh Jackson is the real prize. They also got Devon Reed. Um, you know, some people have, have some doubts about Jackson's game, his lack of shooting, maybe his attitude. There was that report that he canceled on the Celtics, a canceled workout with the Celtics while the Celtics were in the air, you know, traveling to the workout. Um, you know, they didn't really make any addition. They didn't make any huge additions. They obviously added Josh Jackson. They didn't really lose anything significantly. I mean, you know, the, the questions that I have for the Suns, you know, I think that, you know, Devin Booker has become a, a pretty polarizing player. Obviously, people were, are tantalized by his incredible scoring ability, but, you know, some people kind of overrate him for that ability. And, you know, on the other hand, some people really think he just cannot contribute to really winning basketball. Um, so I guess my question for you is, you know, is Devin Booker really, like, good in terms of contributing to the winning basketball? Yeah, I... It's a tough question, I'm, I think. I'm torn on him. I'm not sure where he's at. Uh, I think there's... He can score, as we saw in that Celtics game. And also oh, yeah. there was some... 
there are some funny ways the way they got there with the, all the fouling and things mm-hmm. like that. So let's not let's not forget that. I'm, I wasn't all that crazy about it. I don't know if he's a a, a winning guy. You know, I don't know. You know, it's it, it, hard to say. They haven't really improved much since he's been in there. He's been this is his second year just now, and and this will be a big year to really kind of he's got to show. He could do more than just score. I think now the NBA, we're looking for versatility from guys. We're looking for guys who could do multiple things. And he's got to be able to do more. And 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 I don't know if he can. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious in that regard. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that for a young player on a bad team, you know, putting up good scoring numbers is kind of what you do. I mean, the team is not ready to win regardless. Um, and he's obviously had the ball in his hands a lot, especially last year. Um, so he's obviously going to put up those numbers, but the thing is that, and of course, I don't think the Suns are, you know, even close to really competing. You know, that's my other question: is kind of how long until the Suns are finishing this rebuild slash back in playoff contention? I don't think it's for another, you know, maybe one or two years. Um, and of course, things could change. The Suns were one. Of, Suns are one of those teams that have so many assets that they could pull off a, a potential Kyrie Irving trade, which could include, you know, Eric Bledsoe, Josh Jackson, if they wanted to. Um, though they said they don't want to include him in a deal. Um, so things could significantly change for them. Um, but Devin Booker's kind of role has just been, you know, put up flashing good numbers on, on a bad team. And, and things are trying to change. It's starting to change. It's this third season. You know, they're not going to be competing, but this young core is still growing together. So you want to see improvement in other areas of his game, which is what people haven't really seen so far in his, in his first two seasons. So, again, a, a big year for Devin Booker. But let's just quickly go back to that final question of kind of, you know, how long do you think that the Suns, you know, finish this rebuild or you know do you think they have the right pieces of this young core like Marquise Chris Dragon Bender Devin Booker um they asked just added Josh Jackson you know what do you think about how long it will take for the Suns to kind of quote-unquote complete this rebuild it's going to take a while if, if we say that making the playoffs is kind of completing the rebuild just because let's look at a couple of factors they're a very young team yeah Dragon Bender is still like 19 Chris is 19 or 20 you know, Josh Jackson's a young kid. Uh, Booker's a young kid. Like, they're all young pieces. Then you have guys like Tyson Chandler, who doesn't really fit the timeline with this team. You know, Brandon Knight, who hasn't worked out for them at all. You know, you have Eric Bledsoe, who's, you know, again, older and kind of doesn't fit their timeline. And then you look at the West, and the Western Conference is stacked. Yeah. You know, there's going to be teams with winning records who may not make the playoffs this year, (laughs) you know, in in the Western conference. So that's really a challenge. So I think the bigger question with the, with the Phoenix suns, and I'm going to ask this to you, you know, do you include Josh Jackson in a trade to get Kyrie Irving? Um, You know, my thing is that I think I probably, I, I wouldn't call myself a Kyrie Irving hater, but, I think that he is one of the one of if not the most overrated players in the entire league. Uh, that's just my thing. I think that he's an incredible scorer, great player in the clutch. Um, he's flashy. He can attract fans. You can build around him. But I think if you're building around Kyrie Irving, um, say in a deal that would include Bledsoe and Josh Jackson and maybe some kind of pick or, or maybe an, one of the other you know younger role players, um, I just don't think that pushes the needle for the Suns. I mean. Maybe they would win a couple of more games, but I just don't think that Kyrie Irving can be the best player on a winning team um, that would make the playoffs. I think he has to be a secondary player, and that's just my view on Kyrie. Now, I'm not a big Josh Jackson fan. I feel like I would wait to see him on the court you know, in the regular season. I would not make the move right now. 
um, before we see him on the court. As you said, when we were talking about the Cavs, you know, this, this trade thing could, you know, lend itself to December when other players become available. At that point, they probably have a good idea of Jackson, at least seeing him in, you know, in 20 or so, 20 or so NBA games. But I'm just really not a big Kyrie Irving fan. Um, so I probably... But the thing is that the other the other aspect of it is that deal would almost certainly include Eric Bledsoe, and at this point he doesn't really fit their young core either. Um, and you know Bledsoe I think is twenty eight, and Kyrie I think is twenty five. So he does you know he does fit more line with their young core. If I was probably the Phoenix GM, uh, ultimately <laughs> it's see the thing to come down to. I don't think that you would win with Kyrie if you did that trade. I think that you would get a good flashy player that could attract more fans, which maybe Phoenix does want to do, and that he is young enough to kind of fit the t- somewhat fit the timeline. I think Devin Booker's 21, you know, Kyrie's are, I think, 25. So it does somewhat fit, and you do get younger from Bledsoe. Um, so maybe ultimately, I think, after you see Jackson play in some games, you know, maybe for two months or so, and, he, you know, he's struggling or not fitting in with the, the team, and maybe Bledsoe says he wants to leave, maybe I pull the trigger. But I'm just a really not a big Kyrie Irving fan. <laughs> yeah, I... My biggest thing with that is I look at Kyrie has a two-year deal left. You know, uh, I think I don't – personally, I don't think him and Devin Booker would be a great backcourt. That would be a terrible defensive um, – I mean, they would yeah. – that would be a turnstile. Yeah, so I think, you know, they're going to really hurt you in that regards. I don't think they mesh well together. I think they're very similar. And the other thing, too, about Josh Jackson is – you have him on a rookie deal that's four years, you know, with restricted free agency and, and extensions and stuff. I mean, you kind of have him locked in for the next eight years. Mm-hmm. Like, it's on you to develop him for the next two or three years to turn him into the player you want him to be. And I think that's why I probably wouldn't give up on him. Yeah. I get where it's tempting with Kyrie, but I just think – and I also think you'll you'll be able to find a deal for Bledsoe independent of this, you yeah. know, and things like that. But I wouldn't want to give up uh, a lot of assets for Kyrie if I'm already not a playoff team because he's not going to make them a playoff team. He's not going to put them in that situation. Exactly. I feel like for a team like the Timberwolves, it's different where we expect them to be a top six or five seed depending on how big of a jump they make. And then you know them trading for Kyrie Irving could maybe put them over, say, other teams, not the Warriors, but the other teams ahead of them. But for the team like the Suns, who, is, who are not going to be a playoff team, they're going to be pretty bad, just – just adding Kyrie won't change much besides making them maybe more exciting and put uh, you know some more fans in the seats, which is why ultimately I don't think I would do that deal or give up a lot of assets unless I'm a solid playoff team that's looking to take another leap inside the playoff standings, not you know not a team on the outside trying to jump in for that. Right. Day. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Um, well, Mo, thank you for joining us to preview the Pacific and Central divisions. Certainly, some interesting and questionable off seasons uh, around both divisions. Um, before we go, why don't you throw out where people can find you on social media and where they can find some of your work? Yeah. Well, I run my own site, thejumpball.net. We also have we just me. I <laughs> we also I also started a new feature called the Jump Ball University. It's a series of YouTube videos trying to help kind of the casual fan get a better understanding of basketball and you can always follow me on twitter at the jump ball net and i'm always tweeting out whatever i'm working on so you can find me there 
Yep, everyone make sure to go follow Mo and check out his website. A lot of really great informative stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros MBA. And you can follow our website slash podcast on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. Thank you guys for listening to this preview of the Pacific and Central Divisions. Make sure to listen to our previous episodes that previewed both the Atlantic and the Northwest Division. And then in the coming weeks, we're going to have a preview about the Southeast and Southwest Division. So thank you guys. Take care.